This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome back to Wyman and Bob. I want to thank Ryan Roland Smith for coming in. He's just awesome. It's first time uh, doing an entire show with Ryan. We've had him on a number of times, and he does a great job on Root Sports and filling in on the on the radio. He does some national games every once in a while. So, uh, yeah, just uh, did a did a really good job with us. Uh, Mike Lefko now filling in. Mike Lefko, the sunburned Mike mm, Lefko, yeah. coming back from uh, the land of sun down in uh, the land of pickleball down in L.A. Is that Got right? a little red. Was surprised. You know, after a Seattle winter, you just a small smidge of sun, just immediate burn. You and Maura Dooley, apparently. Apparently, yeah, according Our to Brock. Maura did, yeah, she got sunburned down it, there. It did remind me, I made a mental note, okay, pack sunscreen when we go down to yeah. spring training. Note to self. Because, I mean, think, like, we, we got back here. It's a normal Seattle day. The sun has not been out. It's been raining. It's been dark. So after you have, what, four to five months of that, the first extended time in the sun just gets you. Yeah. Absolutely, and you, you forget. I'm to the point now where I just I don't get sunburned anymore. But like even when I, I used was like, to think I didn't. Ryan Roland Smith, um, you know, when I was his age, I was like 40. I get sunburned, and I'm like, what am I a dumbass? <laughs> All you have to do is put on lotion, you know. And you're not that bad, but like I would get entirely like the first day of my vacation, like just I don't know, I was lazy. But now I, I put it on. It's like lotion. I put it on when I go out. You know, I had. I had a coach at uh, when I was in Denver that had to come out. No matter how hot it was, he just was entirely covered with long sleeves and everything because he'd had skin cancer, which is, I think, the most common form. So, well, yeah. So I got to be careful. I was gonna say I didn't think we'd really get this deep into uh, sunscreen be, and sunburn. I'm lecturing you, Mike. You're right. You be careful, it is young interesting. man. I mean, you you've been out there at Seahawks training camp, and if you look at all these football training camps or college football fall practices, what you see, even when it's 95, 98 degrees out there, long sleeve shirts. And yeah. then those uh, bucket hats. So like every <laughs> part of the body's covered up because you're going to get dehydrated. You're going to get burned. And it's dangerous. Those guys are out there long hours in the brutal heat of the day. I finally surrendered to the bucket hat this year. It's got to it, be nice. It I looks wish I could stupid. I look like no. an idiot. Well, I mean, when don't I? But uh, I just still you get your, you know, your ears. Uh, it, it gets everything covered. Get so. a little fan attached to you. You got to do that. Yeah. I do not have, have blowing that. Blowing in, in front. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I have like the beer up there with the straws <laughs> that come down. Um, hey, before we uh, we get to the combine stuff, we talked pretty heavily about baseball the first three hours, Mike. But uh, but. From your perspective, now I know that you've, especially during uh, What's Bothering Dave or Bob, you've gotten to be more of a grumpy old man. But but what about what about what you saw over the weekend? Uh, I thought it was interesting that, that Brock said being there wasn't, it wasn't as noticeable, which, which is always the case. Like, I always say that, like, the Super Bowl is so much better on TV than it is like if you're there at the game it's just like a regular game yeah the Super Bowl on TV is just a, a huge event so maybe that's what's different did well, was there anything about the way the games went over the weekend that that stood out to you well I'll tell you what needs to be adjusted and really kind of worked into and I, maybe we should ask Brock about that what it's like being there but you could tell from the TV and radio broadcasts that the actual violations like if there was that that uh, ball that was called um, or the strike that was called a Machado right. and other things that have happened it didn't seem like 
the people there amidst it all knew exactly what was happening, yeah. whether that was the radio broadcast crew. I mean, you heard it on the Mariners' side. They weren't exactly sure who it was called on. Uh, they were airing the Padres TV broadcast, and at first they're like, oh, that's on, that's on Murphy, the catcher, because all the umpire did is he points and he says something. And I know he has a microphone that goes up to someone in the booth who then uh-huh. relays it and puts on the scoreboard. But I want to know, especially in-game, when everyone's sitting there in a regular season game and these things are important, how are we going to be aware of what was actually called? That's a great point because, you know, that, well, first of all, you know, we were, we've already heard from, you know, like the broadcasters like Dave Sims and Gary Hill that you can't really turn away from the game. I mean, you really got to pay attention, but you're right. When you're there, it doesn't usually, you know, it's, it wasn't something monumental. Like you'd think that, Maybe there would be an announcement over the bra, you know, over the the PA at the. That's the and stadium, hopefully that's maybe? the change they make as they start to realize, like, all right, all these fans are murmuring; they have no idea what's going on. Oh, yeah. okay, I guess it was a strike. Now it's a strike on the board. So yeah. the umpire made that indication. Somehow it got relayed eventually, but almost like miking up, you know, the refs and the officials in football or the NBA. Now they'll go and sit and stare into the camera if they explain a review. Maybe that is like you were saying that. The umpire relays it up to the PA announcer or whoever is there in the booth tracking it, and then that is communicated to the fans. Because I think fans want to know, right, why it was called, what was called, because when you get to that eight- or seven-second differential, it is kind of tough to see, okay, well, was that on the batter not getting in, or was the pitcher not ready? So, I don't know. Yeah, and is there going to be enough of those that you have to keep it as a separate category? I mean, if you're a, if you're a pitcher and the batter takes too much time, you get a strike that you didn't really earn. And same thing with the walk part of it. So, I'm you know, I'm curious as far as what uh, how that's going to be recorded. But, yeah, it just, it just kind of seemed like it was going a little bit too fast. Uh, the times, once again... Uh, we had that had that somewhere, but as far as um, you know, how how many how many hours and minutes it was? We had a two hour and twenty nine minute, two hour sixteen minute, two hour twenty five minute, and again done the calculation. We're getting ripped off, Mike. <laughs> We're getting absolutely ripped off. Eighty one hours of baseball. If you go, you know, one hundred sixty two times thirty minutes, um, and. You know, all, you do do the calculations. It's like three and a third days of baseball. So there is some there's there's a lot of people, and I think obviously everybody that we're getting texts from uh, watched it on television. But um, as Brock said, it wasn't that big of a deal um, when you're there when you're there at the ball game. But I'm just curious, like you said, there's going to be some kind of. Uh, murmuring or whatever like hey wait he's got that wrong <laughs> kind of like you know we talk about when you come back from the Your fridge confusion, yeah and the how guys, does, he have, three, how does why, he have two strikes why is there a guy on second base <laughs> in the extra inning did, did somebody hit a double so yeah that uh, that will be i don't know i i feel like that might get adjusted mm-hmm. but it's too soon probably right well that's why they're uh figuring out all the kinks in spring training so yeah. hopefully because it would be very frustrating to be sitting in a game and all of a sudden Something happens, and you know the umpire signal kind of looks very close to okay. Someone called time because time time is still granted. I mean, you, a batter is still granted time at the umpire's discretion. A pitcher can still be granted time if the umpire chooses to. So it's tough to know in the moment what did they call? Did they call something on the catcher? Did they call time? Did they call a ball or a strike? So I hope that that can be relayed and help the uh, in crowd in stadium experience because right now that was the main thing that jumped out to me. I mean, the pitch clock it did speed it up. And for the sake of, I mean, for our sake, going behind the veil here, 
for our sake of trying to plan when the heck we were coming on. Yeah, uh, uh, it was a little more abrupt, a little, a little quicker than I anticipated. So that'll be a big adjustment. But I don't know if it's the worst thing to have a pitch clock. It will it will help keep the game on track. I can show you a funny clip uh, after this. There is a there's a funny Twitter account going around. So Pedro Baez, a, a pitcher who has worked very very slowly, is just getting ripped today because people have put together kind of a, a mashup of him going slowly and then contrasting it to how fast things move now. Uh-huh. So I'll show you that someone put together one half inning from one of these spring training games took as long as it took for Pedro Baez to throw one pitch. You're kidding. An entire half inning took as long for this guy to throw one pitch. So in that sense, all right, yeah, get that pitch clock, move these games along. See, that guy is responsible. Like, uh, you know, (laughs) you hear the the term human rain delay. You've got got guys like that that selfishly took too much time. Yeah, they're all complicit. They all are part of it. But anyway, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk much about the combine this week. And I'm surprised that you wanted to keep talking baseball. I know. Well, I had I Ryan Rowland Smith right here. into football here when he left and you know, just <laughs> Ryan, you know, he was right along. He was very interesting, you know, some of the things that uh, that even we talked about um, during during the breaks, but he's got so much insight, obviously. Uh, but you know, he had some things to say about uh, about the Russell Wilson thing and just how odd it is. And you know, we talked a little bit about Juan Soto and what a good guy that he is and how evaluation makes you know that's that's a big part of it of going to the combine people always think the 40-yard dash number one then i don't know what's next as far as popularity it's no fun watching the bench press thing unless they speed it up you just want to hear the number but really you know for the for the teams a lot of it has to do with number one i would say this when people talk about doing a pro day if i'm a if i'm a scout i much rather see a guy compete at the combine when you doing a pro day you've got your own coaches you're at your own place you're getting dressed in your locker you know oh that's i mean that's easy and you're you know you're doing it with your your coaches are running the whole thing this is you know i remember part of it was like some of the the drills were somewhat complicated they're like okay you want to go sideways here then back here and then guys would always screw it up so they're evaluating can the guy be coached the other thing is you're there with a bunch of your competitors and you know you're trying to prove out i i just think it's it you get you get a chance to show how competitive you are and how you don't back down to you know the all the players there that are there at the combine i just remember looking around at some of the guys going man that dude he looks like he works harder than me you know or that guy's faster than me or that guy's bigger than me or whatever so it, it i feel like uh you can get a lot more out of it if if you're an NFL coach, just seeing, and also the NFL coaches are out there telling, you know, they're running the drills and everything like that. So you, it's to me, it's a much better evaluation than having one at your own at your own university. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that what you get the sense from talking to to John and from being around the Seahawks and you know just going through it yourself that they really cherish that these front office types really cherish the fact to do that to have that opportunity to evaluate, compare either or. Where like yeah. you you can go to a pro day like you said and really test a guy and try to get under his skin, but how much does that help someone like a GM when they can see well we might have our eye on this guy, and okay we can see back to back or you know simultaneously how he compares not just to if we want to draft him in that position but to maybe everyone else at that position does that influence it at all or are they kind of made up about well we like this guy going in 
and nothing too much is going to sway us drill-wise at the Combine. Yeah. Well, that's a good question because and maybe we'll ask him that. I don't think we got an opportunity to ask him that one. But you know what I, I saw today, Mike, on uh, NFL Network? They were talking about B. John Robinson, mm-hmm. who is the running back from Texas. And I guess that there was some question as to whether he was going to be there or not. And he's like, no, I'm going. And I, and also the, the pro day for Texas is like three days after the combine. And I guess B. John Robinson said, I'm going to the combine, I'm doing everything, and then I'm going to come back to my pro day and I'm going to do everything. Mm. Coaches like that. Yeah. Well, right. and I and I get the sense that um, when Schneider talked to you guys this past week, and I like how you guys have kind of built it up, like, hey, take us through this step in preparing for the combine. Now take us to, will you get a week out and what you do? Because when he mentioned how they cut down drastically – the amount of people that they're scouting, yeah. that was pretty eye-opening. Like, yeah, we scout about 3,000 people. No, it's about 1,500. But the fact that they whittle it down to a manageable number was pretty interesting. And I got the sense from him that the interviews are what they really cherish about this opportunity. The fact to just kind of go through one player after the other. When you were going through that, did you get the sense when you were kind of being evaluated that people who might draft you were kind of trying to size you up more than they were looking at your on-field work because maybe they have film, they have your pro day. Was it the interview process and trying to really dig into your brain that they they tried to find some little uh, edge or maybe something that would dissuade them? Well, First of all, it was different then because they didn't do the interviews. They didn't do the interviews then, okay. Yeah, not not back then, but they did come and work you out. And then I think I mentioned this, that they would give you a questionnaire. And it was like a psych evaluation with some of the stupidest questions ever. And I I mentioned it last week that the one was, uh, and it was like sometimes, uh, never, always, or whatever. You had to check the box. And one of them was, (laughs) I swear to you, it said, uh, sometimes I get so frustrated I want to break down and cry. Like, what linebacker in the world would check Oh, sometimes or yes, always, you know, and I remember like putting like a big, huge X of never, yeah. you know, on there to make it very obvious. And then I thought, oh, maybe they think I'm uh, overcompensating or something. Maybe so, they think you're a psychopath. Yeah, I just thought it was the stupidest question. It was just, yeah. So that's how they used to do the psych evaluation. But more than anything, they would just, they would come and work you out. Um, yeah, it's funny. Two of the coaches that came and worked me out in college ended up being my coaches. One was Rusty Tillman um, from the Seahawks, the late, great Rusty Tillman. And then the other guy was uh, John Paul Young, who ended up being my linebacker coach in in uh, Denver. And he ended up at that workout. He was with Kansas City at that point. He was trying to make me do something that was totally foreign mm. to me. Like it was, uh, you know, when I dropped back in my in my zone drop that he wanted me to break out of it in one step. And he was trying to show me how to do it. And I kind of, you know, screwed it up. And then later I thought, I think he was trying to see how I would react to that, not trying to get me to take that step. So, yeah, that kind of stuff went on. But now, you know, like it's really important. And I'm pretty fascinated with this part of it because you see guys all the time that have just a tremendous amount of talent and they can't get out of the way of their their self. You know, they're whether it's, you know, because they're. In the NFL, I always say this, this tests you as a man, as a person, as a, you know, emotionally, uh, psychologically, uh, toughness wise. I mean, are you able to handle things? And, you know, if you if you're not, then it's not the world for you. I mean, there's lots of guys that 
try to hide injuries. And then there are other guys that are like, if their fingernail comes off, it's a tragedy. So, you know, you, there's all kinds of things that are going on there and just trying to narrow that down. And uh, cut number six, uh, Schneider talked about, um, well, this isn't so much about well, actually, narrowing can, these guys down. But I was going to say, can we, oh, you want to play that? I was going to well, get to the physical one. Yeah, I wanna go know, to the physical I wanna one. I want to know why that's important. We'll play it here. And then from yeah. your perspective, kind of if you can explain to us why that's a big deal there. We used right. to go into the, to, to the interviews. We used to go into like, you know, like 11 o'clock at night. And then you'd start some meetings after that. So it would be like 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we'd be getting up at six so you know you're, yeah it, it's, it's intense and they've, they've you know with tv now they've, they've drawn it out so you know you have the prime time workouts so we have interviews with these guys at eight o'clock in the morning starting at eight o'clock in the morning we go like monday and tuesday i think in the evening and then then we, then we do it in the mornings and, and, and try to knock it out there but physicals are huge uh the psychological testing the interviews and then trying trying to get as many questions as we possibly can uh, questions we have on these guys answered as we head into the spring so we can kind of keep trying to figure out who the person is. So, yeah, why why are physicals so important? Because I remember you and Bob talking about this when it came out that, what, the NFLPA, they were kind of talking about, well, let's get rid of the scouting combine. And you said, no, NFL teams like it because they can get the doctors there and they can look over these guys. So what about that is different than maybe having them come out to a facility or bringing people to a, a regional scouting combine? Well, I don't. I'm not sure what happens. Well, first of all, the regional one, I just thought was, and the NFLPA was just trying to wedge in and try to dig something out money-wise or something that, because they're seeing, and I thought last year was the first year where it was really obvious. I mean, I think up to that point, people like me, I mean, I started, I, I recorded the first year I was on this show in the afternoon, I recorded the combine because, and I was the only one who did, and really the only one that really watched it. I mean, other than just reading the results. Now, and I think especially last year, it is uh, it's become a huge deal, and you know that was it was fun to watch last year. And a lot of times, you know, most of the combines have been like, uh, you know, let me just read the numbers, but I'm not going to watch any of it. Everybody was watching that one last year. There was some cool stuff that happened, like the big, you know, defensive tackle that that ran the fast forty, and it was like faster than Gronk's, and this guy weighed like three hundred and twenty pounds, and all that. So there was some intrigue around it, and I felt like the NFLPA was just trying to maybe wedge in some way to to bring attention to themselves, the players' association, and and maybe get some some money, but. You know, uh, but the the things that happen at the school, like I said, it's like the player, it's like it's like the difference between a home and away game, right? So, and especially the NFL, this they're like, hey, this is our stage. This is where we want you to come to us. We're gonna have you know our doctors, and we're gonna have our guys running it. And but mostly, to me, like I said, I think it's it's more about do they, how do they perform? Because it was intimidating, I have to say. You know, there was I have images of that was like a very memorable thing for for me having to go. I think there was like thirty other linebackers, you know, and some of them, one of them was Cornelius Bennett, who was just an impressive looking dude and could run like the wind. And you know, you're like going up against these guys, and you know, like I said, trying to get the the drills down and don't screw that up. And yeah, it's I think it's much a much better evaluation. Uh, there and like I said, it's like a, a difference between a home and a way. Do you think they would ever open it up to fans? You, know, you and Bob kind of throw yeah. that out there, like, hey, another way to make money. It seems like, hey, if you want to build this up, add to the pressure, fill half that stadium, right? I, I know the scouts would hate that, like they're sitting there right in those prime seats, trying to trying to time, trying to do all that. But maybe you put the upper deck, 
all fans, wouldn't disrupt the scouts. Yeah. Adds the uh, big-time nature of it. Now, that's a good point. I forgot about that, that the scouts sit there. So if you did open it up. But I, last year was the first time I actually considered it. All right, should we go to break, Mike? Yeah, go All right, it. let's go to break. Uh, and by the way, you can text us on the Mac and Jack Brewing Company text line, 866-979-3776. Question I have, are you going to watch the Combine? And uh, how interested are you in that? We'll talk about that next. It's Wyman and Bob with Mike Lefko. And Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Welcome back to Wyman and Bob. Got Mike Lefko and Dave Wyman here. We had Ryan Rowland Smith on earlier. Really interesting. Talking to uh, to Ryan and getting all of his uh, you know, his his takeaways from from spring training and particularly a little bit of a bit more of an in-depth discussion about Jared Kelnick, especially. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. Um, where do you go, Mike, if you uh, if you missed any of that? Oh, you can go to our website. There you and go. You're about to catch me off guard. It was good, like Bob does. No, I wasn't trying to do no, that. No, it was good. You subscribe. Did. Subscribe. Hit subscribe. Now, SeattleSports.com, and you can do it at uh, SeattleSports.com slash Wyman or SeattleSports.com slash Bob. That'll take you right to our show page. Or, you know, if you just want to check out our whole website, because actually we have a ton of good stuff up there right now. Uh, you wrote something, right didn't now. you? I do write periodically yeah. for our website. Yeah, it's not up there on the front page anymore because uh, there's some good live coverage from spring training. Shannon Dreyer's down there. She's got a, a Mariner's notebook up after every game, um, which you can hear the game today coming up at 7. Those will be tape delayed all week. Friday live, uh, tape delayed the rest of the week. So Shannon has a notebook up there. Brock has some stories up there. Great stories from everyone. You know, all the hosts do good jobs, write, good job writing periodically. Then you and Bob do some great video breakdowns, so that's what they can check out. And then, of course, click podcast, click Wyman and Bob, and click subscribe. Well, we also, we also know that when we go down that Shannon Dreher, much like uh, Russell Wilson, she's going to have an open-door policy <laughs> with her uh, her little VRBO down there that we – it's going to get crowded down there. i gotta, I got to ask. I'll text Brock, like, where are they staying? Are they staying – him and Salk staying – with, uh, Do you want all the details? Yeah, I, I want to know what we're getting into. That. Oh, okay. So Bob ni- and I are... neither of them are staying with her. Oh, okay. They have their own accommodations. Oh, no, I think that. they have family down there. But uh, Mora and Justin are staying with Shannon. Oh, they are. Okay. So yeah, we good. we all three are staying with Shannon. And um, what? She promised to bake some some blondies that she makes. She makes a good dessert. <laughs> she makes some good stuff. She does. Yes. But, uh, yeah, she's known also, not only is she a baseball expert, but she's also a uh, trumpet player and a uh, really good baker. So, hey, I was looking at some of the numbers last year. So we were talking about the combine, Mike, and, you know, just how, I don't know, it stood out to me last year just because, to me, it was the most significant one since when I went. And I went the very beginning. It was the first time when they had the combination of, and I think that's where they got the combine from, uh, of all the different scouting things that there, that were going on. I think they were in three different places. One of them was Dallas. I think Indy was one of them. And then there was another, I think, at East Coast, or maybe it was down in Florida. But this is the, you know, since 1987, it's been all in the same place. But I was looking at uh, the 40-yard dash. I forgot about this. The number two 40-yard dash, is, as far as speed goes, number two was Tariq Woolen from UTSA. 6'4", 205 pounds, 4.26. Also, if you look at uh, his vertical, it's funny how you can, you can click on this and it shows the lowest and the highest. 42, 42 inches. Who so, is the worst? 
Uh, gosh, you know what? I don't even think I could beat the worst right now. <laughs> oh, no. uh, but yeah, it was probably freakishly high. I mean, these are athletes in their prime, and we're about to laugh at the worst, which yeah. is absurdly better than either of us could do, right. I'm sure. Yeah, Myron Cunningham, who was an Arkansas offensive tackle, he had a 20-inch vertical. So more than twice as high <laughs> Tariq Woolen could jump. I, to me, the vertical has always been very impressive because it's, it's about explosion. You know, and if you if you can do that, I think mine was really bad when I went. I think it was probably, it might have been like 30, 31, something like that. So it was okay, but I mean, it was, uh, that's something I think that I put some value in. But I'm not sure how much those guys, I mean, I think they know. Here's where, what you can find out. This is this is what I would say. Does Tariq Woolen, you, you watch him run a four two six forty. does he play that way on the field? Because if he does, then that's that's a really good sign. Because there's lots of guys that have speed; they're track guys. They can run, you know, the the fastest time. But then they get out on the field; they don't use it, and you know, they're either thinking too much or they just it just doesn't it just does isn't part of their game. And I think that's uh, that's something that is is very important. And why you look at the forty a lot of I bet you a lot of the the evaluators and the scouts. It's like. I don't. I don't want to see how fast he can run. I want to see is he does he run as fast as he plays, that's and tough. vice versa. Yeah. So how do you do that? I mean, that's just going to the game film, right? Yeah. You look at it and go, oh, why he got beat over the top like yeah. twice? Why is he getting beat over the top when he's got a four two six forty? You know. So that I, I think you know that's one thing to have it, and it's another to actually use it. And some guys just play better, and that's why the other thing that goes on there. And I don't know how much of it you watch, Mike. Like I said, the the bench press part of it was is not fun to watch. You just want to see like the results. By the way, the lowest was a wide receiver from Clemson, and kudos to him. He got eleven reps, but at least he tried. A lot of these guys don't even try. But the the number uh, the number one was thirty two, which is not that impressive because I didn't get I didn't get thirty uh, like I didn't get thirty at the. At the combine, I think mine was like twenty three. But at the end of my rookie year, I did thirty. And right now, thirty two. Go tell that guy you're not impressed. Yeah, I'm not impressed. Yeah. Come on, you're a guard. Guy weighs three hundred twelve pounds. Ran a five one eight forty. But um, yeah, just think that guy right there. He three hundred twelve. I did the combine. Hey, by the way, media combine this year. I'm not sure if they're having it. Would you do it? Well, the problem was it was during our show. Yeah, last year I had to go down. Yeah. I did it. You were the representative. For yeah, us. That to was represent good. us. Um, Pulled a hamstring. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to get in shape for it. I'd like to think I'm decently in shape. I so think you probably it, it would got be good. You probably yeah. got good hops and speed. I would definitely not brag about my abilities in any of those events. Yeah, I certainly would think, if I had a mediocre time, I, would, I would wouldn't think, brag about it. <laughs> you mean even if there was a guy that was like old enough to be your dad that uh, was comparable to your times yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't be bragging about it (laughs) oh it's it's an inside joke but um but yeah that i think that's the the i i think john schneider if you asked him like if there's only one event that i could be there for i think he would say it was the interview by why don't you why don't you ask him yeah, we'll ask him this that. Thursday. Yeah. Well, and I guess by the time you guys talk to him, because the combine starts tomorrow, and then I think the what the first on-field workouts are Wednesday. You know, it's this drawn-out long process. Like they were mentioning for TV, where they've broken up into all the position groups, so you have different groups going Wednesday through like the weekend. So I think they'll be well into it by the time you guys talk to him on Thursday. And I know they're not going to say, "Yeah, we talked to this guy and we learned this," but 
maybe if you ask in that broad sense, yeah, I'm sure it'd be interesting to hear what his favorite event is to watch and then maybe what they think they can learn the most of out of these events. Because, yeah, maybe they don't learn anything from bench press, right. but maybe they do from the, the shuttle drill or uh, the 40-yard dash in the interviews. Well, yeah, and then the other thing is, like I said earlier, sometimes they, they do the, um, the run-through of the drills and some guys screw it up. And so, you know, you don't want... You know that that's something that would definitely knock something off of uh, off of your time. But, you know what uh, I'm curious about before we go to break here. Yeah. What he was mentioning to you, what Schneider said to you guys last week about the interviews. That sometimes they get a guy coming in and he interviews terribly. He does a poor interview at the combine portion because maybe he's frazzled. You know, he just went through the ringer of a bunch of other teams, or maybe he ran a, a poor forty and now is worried about his draft stock. And then they talk to him later in the year. They talk to him at a pro day or they talk to him somewhere else and he does better. And they have drafted guys off of poor combine interviews. I wonder, and I think he hinted, hinted at this, right? That Tariq Willen, Tariq Willen might not have given the best interviews at the combine. And we've talked to him. He's got that Texas drawl. He's very laid back and mm-hmm. the shoot and something <laughs> like that, where for some teams, if they're not perceptive enough, might come across as lazy. They might not think he's dialed in or focused or has the work ethic. So I'm wondering if that's what dropped him, of course, and he was raw at the position. And then maybe the Seahawks followed up. They did another interview removed from the combine, and he impressed them. And they obviously got a gem and a steal of a draft. I think that's a great uh, person to focus in on. Uh, Like, he is a combine sort of, I don't want to say hero because it doesn't all have to do with what he did at the Combine, but a guy getting drafted that late and being in the run for defensive rookie of the year, uh, that's, that you know, defensively, that that's pretty amazing. Hey, coming up, and I, I meant to mention this more than, than I have, but what time does Brock and Salk start? Six o'clock or seven o'clock? How, I love late, that how neither, early do I you have to get neither up? of you have ever been awake for that show. Not the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> or, not or the Bob beginning the end either so no it's uh, it's six, six o'clock yeah, yeah they used to get started at six o'clock yes. but they're down in peoria and uh brock and salk show is uh down there with mara and justin and they're they're sunburned apparently but uh yeah tune in because uh it's really cool to kind of have boots on the ground down there we'll be down there at the end of march but uh and what did brock say they have a uh, service and kelnick tomorrow Oh, that yeah. Good. There you go. A couple of great interviews. All right. Coming up next, uh, we may have a shakeup here soon on the defensive coaching staff. We'll talk about that next. This is Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Welcome back to Wyman and Bob. Dave Wyman and Mike Lefko. Bob will be back tomorrow. Don't worry about Bob. He, he never goes too far away. But, uh, hey, before we get to this, Mike, did you happen to see, and I thought of C-Rodge, of course, the end of the Arizona State-Arizona basketball game? By yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm sure Moyer will be thrilled. Moyer was Tough excited about it. For uh, the Wildcats. Oh, man. So what was that, like a three-quarters court shot? Yeah, wait, what, what made you just think of that right now? <laughs> uh, I was just watching college basketball, okay. and I was thinking, maybe I should start paying more attention to college basketball, because I, I Yeah, now's love. the time to start. March is literally days away. Yeah, exactly. So, But anyway, yeah, so it was a tie ball game, wasn't it? Mm. I believe it was a tie ball game, and they were going to go into overtime, but I could be wrong on that. But uh, yeah, Arizona State Sun Devil launches about a three-quarters court shot and drops it. And so I thought about C. Rodge because he's an Arizona guy. And, uh, yeah, kid from Renton went down. He went down. But He's from Kent. Or I'm sorry. 
Kent. <laughs> See, you're not on Twitter. You would know that. I knew that his actually. If you I were trying to insult Twitter him, handle, that would be fantastic. That's a good yeah. way to kind of right. get under his skin. Well, yeah, I did that on Twitter purpose. C Raj, right. no, exactly. I wouldn't do that to C Raj. His Twitter handle literally tells you where he's from. Yeah, it's from Kent. <laughs> Sorry, what did I say? Renton, kid from Renton. Yeah. Hey, Sean Desai. Uh, good transition. Is interviewing. Let's just forget there you it. Go. That's in Renton. Interviewing uh, for the Eagles defensive coordinator job today, and Sean Desai is somebody interesting. He was the defensive coordinator for. Chicago, and then he came over here. Was he or did he? No, he was. I know at one point he was the pass game coordinator as far as defense goes, and I think he was the DC in uh, in Chicago. But um, he's really smart guy, and you know, it was a guy that uh, I noticed that just very. We we never really saw him. We heard a lot about him, and then you know, and I was telling the story to you guys that he would. He would be in the booth typically right next to me for home games for sure, and that where he sat. And so I knew who he was and what he looked like. Never got a chance to talk to him because a lot of times the assistant coaches don't don't talk. Didn't get a chance to talk to him down on the field or anything like that. But really smart guy. I mean, he had his master's and then I think he got his doctorate in teaching, which is what you want. I mean, that's what coaching is all about, right? And we just didn't end up finding that much out about him. And Man, if he gets if he gets that job, first of all, I'll be happy for him. But secondly, I'll be like, we never really knew him. Yeah, that's what I'm really curious about because he's been a hot name this cycle. I mean, he's been everywhere interviewing. Interviewed for the Vikings, that's D.C. Right. job. Interviewed for the Broncos, defensive coordinator job. And now he's a finalist for the Eagles. And my thought, just like you were saying, well, what did he do? What did yeah. he do last year that made him such a hot commodity? I mean, coming over here... We knew he was, all right, good D.C. for the Bears. You know, got fired when they had the coaching staff and the changes there. But what last year are people looking at and saying, you know what, this would be a good defensive mind? And can the Seahawks tap into that? And is that why they, you know, gave him that title associate head coach? So it would be interesting if they lose him. But I don't know if we would see or know the impact that he actually had here yet. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, when they give the associate head coach, if that really helps in becoming a head coach. Because I know that uh, the commanders did that with Eric Bieniemy, right? And so I'm not sure how much people really look at that. But he does he does seem like a guy. I don't know. But the thing is, it's not like when he walks into a room, he's one of those guys that sucks the air out of the room, right? Where he's kind of, uh, I don't know, he, he's sort of... He's very understated, I guess, is what I would say about him. But, you know, what what did he do? So I'm just looking at the, at the numbers defensively. Um, and I think he had more of an emphasis on pass yards than he did as far as the, just the entire defense. I think he was sort of the back-end coordinator. And Clint Hurt, obviously, having been a D-line coach, he was probably taking care of more of the front seven. Carl Scott, a big part of the passing uh, game. But... I will say the numbers last year were not great. So they ended up, as far as points go, they were number 25. They allowed 23.6 points per game. Run yards, this is where it was really bad. They gave up 150 a game. They were number 30. Only two teams worse than them. Uh, Total yards, they were number 26. 361 uh, is how much they gave up. But if you go and look at passing yards, so and this isn't a huge. I mean, it's a it's a big jump. But the the prior two years in twenty and twenty one with Ken Norton, they were thirty first both years, giving up two sixty five, two eighty five. Last year they gave up only two hundred eleven yards, and they were number thirteen. 
So, I mean, at least they were in the top half. And that's a pretty drastic improvement going from number 31 to number 13. Yeah, I mean, the pass game was an issue over the past few years. So even though it got better this year, I mean, it had not like uh, it hadn't been a thing. So, right, even though those aren't drastically good improvements to the best in the league, you know, this is not one of the best pass defenses in the league, but... It looks so much better than it had in the past. So yeah. you're right. I guess if that's if the back end is what he was kind of in charge of, I could see why that's an attractive name, especially having previous defensive coordinating experience. But yeah, yeah it'll just be like, well, okay, that, that's a guy who left, and maybe we won't know the impact until he's gone. Yeah, and then something happens, either bad or good, and you go, oh, yeah, he, he might have had a big deal about that. But if it happens. Do you think Carl Scott would be the guy? Because you and Bump yeah. were raving about him. I mean, you had that like video breakdown. You watched him at Alabama, and uh, you've talked to him, right, Carl Scott? So yeah, I don't he, know what your impressions were of uh, Carl Scott and what he could be if he's maybe moved up a spot. Yeah, I just watching him coach. Now, the stuff that I've talked to him down on the field, he's just a very friendly guy, and you know, we've just kind of talked about the kids and who you know, guys are like. He was telling me a story about how uh, he said. You know, these guys are just, they're the same as they are when they're in college. You know, they're just the same guy. And I go, oh, so you're telling me Quandre Diggs was grumpy in college too? <laughs> He's like, that's exactly right. Yes, that's yeah, what I'm I telling you. <laughs> but, you know, when you, the other thing you you could say about Sean Desai though, Mike, is that he did all of that, that drastic improvement from 31st to 13 with young guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, you, you had a rotating... You know, sort of. I mean, Ryan Neal mostly played strong safety. Quandre was there for for the whole the whole season. But you you had Tariq Woolen on one side, Michael Jackson on the other, who was a guy that hadn't really had a chance to start. And then you had uh, you had Kobe Bryant, who was you know the, your nickel guy. So I mean, I think that that might be another thing. You know, that is attractive to to other teams is that you were able to get that done with rookies. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, because like you said, rookies, they aren't good for anything, right? <laughs> well, I mean, look, when they go to the Pro Bowl, they're okay. Right, right. Tariq Woolen. But <laughs> when no, they're good, I mean, like Ken Walker and Tariq Woolen, then they're great. Yeah, but I mean, for the most part, you, tackles. you don't, you don't, uh, you don't count on those guys that much. So, hey, uh, as I mentioned, I just found out, Mike, that uh, the Brock and Salk show starts at 6 a.m. I can't believe that. Yes. You got to get up at like 4.30. Yeah. 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 Can you, I tell you, you a quick story? Yeah. yeah. So one time I was filling in. And um, Bob had like texted me something at his usual time of, you know, like 11, 1130 midnight. Yeah. I didn't respond. I was asleep. But I woke up at 330 to start my day for the show. And I know he's sometimes usually awake. So I texted him back and he responded immediately. Oh, my God. He was up. At <laughs> he was up. Bob was up. You're going to work. He's going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, coming up. Uh, yeah. Brock and Salk starts at six o'clock through 10 o'clock every day. And they are down at Mariners spring training and coming up next. We'll talk to Brock Heward, and he'll tell us uh, what, what he saw. I think there's some interesting things there, especially about attending these games in person as to as opposed to watching it on television. This is Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. You're listening to Wyman and Bob with Dave Wyman and Mike Lefko.